If you're looking to sell your private company stock, SharesPost has a solution for you. With more than $4 billion in company-approved transactions, SharesPost is the leading marketplace for private company shares. To learn more, visit us at sharespost.com slash equity. Hello and welcome back to Equity. I'm Alex Wilhelm and after a short hiatus from the show, because I was off doing whatever the hell I wanted to do, I am back and I am happy to be so. I am sad to say Kate is not here. Kate's off. But we did put together kind of a special little group uh, to make up for the absence and I'm really happy to say that after a little bit of time away, Danny Crichton is back on Equity. Danny. Welcome to San Francisco and uh, the show. Thanks, Alex. You're leaving in like 20 minutes, though, back to the East Coast. That's right. Okay. So we got you literally at the last possible minute. That's right. And uh, for people who care, we are recording this at 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, so Danny could take part. And so we all had to get up super early. <laughs> and so if we pass out during the show, that's why. But we will not pass out. We will not fall asleep because our other person in the studio today is none other than Barrett Daniels. Uh, Barrett, welcome back. Thanks for having me back. You were on the show during our 2017 recap back when Equity was but a wee baby, and you were running your own business called Next Step Advisory, and you were on the IPO beat back then, but now you work for Deloitte. Correct. Yeah, so uh, I'm glad to have you back at your next job, and we'll have you back at your next job. <laughs> and we'll just, no. we'll just keep that guy. I'm kidding. He's never going to leave Deloitte. Very <laughs> uh, what is your job title over there? I'm a partner in the San Francisco office, and I'm our national IPO services leader. Yes, and um, if you are a, a purveyor of Bloomberg TV, uh, which we were talking about before the show started, uh, or CNBC or other, uh, other channels, you will often see Barrett talking about the IPO market and the tech world, and he is also... Uh, one of the nicest guys you'll find. So very happy to have Barrett back. Um, but we're going to start off with some bad news uh, for the Chinese or China-based uh, venture capital market. Danny, what is, what's going on over in China? Uh, so a quick hit. I mean, uh, we've been tracking the China IPO market for a long time, and we've seen a lot of you know, Meituan Dianping, a bunch of other Chinese companies, NIO, uh, we've mm-hmm. talked on the show. But um, in the last couple of months, we've seen a, a real slowdown in the Chinese venture capital market. So companies with more than $100 million in, in venture capital have seen a precipitous drop and a lot of the money is actually going elsewhere. So Chinese venture capital money is way up in places like Southeast Asia, other places of uh, India and Asia as well. So uh, it's a really tough time if you were starting to build a company in Beijing or, or Shanghai. I mean, if you go back to like 2017, 2018, and you were tracking the venture capital market, especially the larger side, China was an enormous player. And for a while, they were the leading group that was putting together these super giant rounds. Now, uh, if you stack up the US, China, and the rest of the world, China comes in third place. And it's been a relatively sharp, uh, sharp decline. So late stage fans on the show, it's uh, the, the climate is now uh, shockingly different. And Danny, do you think this is uh, trade tensions or the Chinese stock market having problems or is it kind of a host of things coming together that forms this uh, change? I think it's uh, a little bit of trade tensions, but I, I think the focus is really on you know, Chinese companies IPO faster. Right. So this yes. generation of companies, um, the ones that took 10, 12 years here in the United States are all coming through. Um, you know, went out two, three years ago in China. So we've already had all the successes, and now you're sort of post-mobile, post-cloud, post a lot of other things, um, and we're waiting sort of for the, the next shoe to drop. So, um, you know, the Chinese government has sort of authorized this new tech board in Shanghai, which is sort of a, a way to get a more emerging markets onto the public markets. Um, and that's actually considered a pretty big deal. So they want a, a couple of the major marquee IPOs later this year. They're trying to lock in for that new new tech board. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Also, we've seen uh, people like the London Stock Exchange try to get more tech listings on. I, I feel like there's been a global uh, push to get tech offerings to stay both domestic and also to see to see more of them. Um, Barrett, uh, when you when you talk to companies that are kind of picking markets, are you only talking to companies that are going public here in the U.S., or do you talk to companies that are also considering uh, other markets? It, it's it's 
pretty rare that we come across companies. Um, and, you know, I am our national partner here, but the bulk of my work is in the, the Bay Area. Um, and it's pretty rare that we come across a company that is considering um, other markets. Now, um, I do talk to companies that are domiciled or have operations in other countries, sure. and they absolutely do look at these other exchanges. And our Twitter buddy, James Clark, mm-hmm. you know, he's... That's who um, I was thinking of. Yeah, exactly. He's always... Um, uh, talking about the London Stock Exchange. And I think it's a great exchange. Uh, I spent some time in Australia um, uh, a, a few jobs back, and they actually, uh, it's, a, it's a really big deal getting listed on that exchange over there too. Uh, but here the focus does seem to be, at the moment at least, on the, the local exchanges. Uh, and also too, the companies here are just getting so much bigger that um, I think where the London Stock Exchange's sweet spot, um, and he may dispute this, James may, but uh, is with the companies that aren't quite at your you know multi billion dollar space, um, yeah. and they've had some real success stories over there. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been tracking it more and more just because I feel like uh, if I just look at the Nice and the Nasdaq, I'm not getting enough of a global picture to be an actually educated and informed person, even though I am certainly a U.S. based. Uh, well, well, certainly the London Stock Exchange has tried to be a much more global player. So like last month, they announced the, the London-Shanghai Stock Exchange link, which allows any sort of global investor to come in into the London Stock Exchange, buy Chinese shares yep. locally, which solves a lot of administration, you know, custodial problems. So, you know, I think they're trying to take more of that business as more of these global tech IPOs come through the market. And I, I bring all that up because I was looking at some data on the global um stock market kind of year to date in 2019. And I, I would have guessed sitting here, mostly watching the US uh, based tech IPO cycle, that we were in the middle of a global IPO boom, that we would be, you know, just uh, almost astounded at the number of IPOs. But according to some uh, data from Ernst & Young that I that I pulled, you know, the number of IPOs we've seen globally in 2019 so far is 507, which is down 28%. And there's been just under $72 billion in proceeds, which is down 28%. Um, and I was shocked by that. You know, we saw 302 IPOs according to this in, uh, in Q2, which is certainly more than Q1, but still, uh, down from what we saw last year. And I'm, I don't know, does that, does that match with what you guys expected to see in the numbers? No, that does feel surprising just based on all the, the hype that has been around this IPO market. Now, I think that that's probably more so just because of the actual companies that have been coming out this year. Um, they're such well-known companies that um, it's the the media is all over them, right? And it's trickled down to your typical Main Street investors. So it just feels like the buzz is ten times greater than than what has been in the past. I mean, we're talking about companies that are truly ubiquitous, right? Yes. Like I, I I think this term is thrown around way too much, but when you think about Uber in particular, um, literally everybody I know knows who they are. My three year old knows who they are. You know, it's it, it these are the kind of companies that that everybody is paying attention to. And not to mention, in some sense, it's like the largest employer in the country. Yeah. And um, uh, so when you start to talk and it's not just them, there were several of these very big companies, very well-known companies that have Pinterest come out for one. Yeah, exactly. That um, really has just created this buzz. And I think this gets to the point that um, even though those numbers don't look great, frankly. Yep. Um, it really has been a historic year in a, a, a couple of respects. Like our, um, our old friend Katie Roof, you know, wrote this great article this uh, last week in the journal about um, 
uh, how this year truly has been historic and primarily in the in the sense of these decacorns. You know, prior to 2019, we'd really only had, what, three, four decacorn IPOs ever? You know, as far as I know, when you think of a, what a decacorn, your traditional yeah. VC backed, uh, worth $10 billion. Um, this year, I mean, depending on how you count it, we probably had four or five, Yep. you yep. know, and we're talking it's July, whatever it is, right? It's early July right now. And so um, when you think about it in that context, it really has been a, a truly historic year. Yeah. And, and that's why, I mean, I've never been busier as a person who used to cover like four IPOs a year and it was a small part of my day job and I've been just getting crushed under the the weight of just like news from this week, like Medallia, I think priced and Dyna something or other filed. And I've actually pretty much lost track of who's going public. I just <laughs> frantically run behind the, uh, the IPO news cycle. Uh, totally. And, and we, that's, it's nice, nice to be there, but also like, my gosh, I'm surprised this is not a global thing, but, um, but it really bit. is. It's, it's really neat. I mean, to, to be in the IPO space this year has been really fun, right? Just for lack of a, a, a better word. And, um, when you look back just a few years back, you know, 2015 was really disappointing. 2016 <laughs> was disappointing. 2017 was supposed to be the first year of the Decacorn. Yes. And it disappointed also. And 2018 definitely didn't disappoint. It was okay. Um, in fact, you know, by some measures it was good. And, um, but really to have a year like this has been, it felt like just been waiting for this literally for years. So to be here it's, and, and to watch it all unfold, has been really awesome. All right. I want to, I want to throw another data point out here from this Ernst and Young report that I, that I rated mercilessly for data before the show, um, led by four of the five IPOs in the U S with deal size over a billion dollars. Technology accounted for a dominant 64% of proceeds in Q2 2019. So I think this is why we're thinking that there's this, you know, huge wave of offerings. Really, it's just tech finally showing up after shockingly disappointing years. I wrote a piece at the end of like 2014, 15, 16, like maybe next year it's going to happen. And every year I look like an idiot. Uh, so it, it, is, <laughs> it is good that they are finally here. I mean, Uber's IPO was enormous. Pinterest raised a lot of money. Um, trade web markets and also Chewy all had relatively large uh, and strong debuts. So, I mean, here we are. I, I, I'm curious how many unicorns will not make it out while the window is this open. Because well... So here's what I know, okay. right? Um, I'm talking to clients all the time about IPOs, you know, way more than ever. And we're not, the, it's not just the, the three of us that are watching and noticing this. Everybody is noticing that this IPO market is phenomenal. And um, there's an argument to say that there has never been a better time to IPO than right now, today. Now, it takes time to get ready to get there. And so companies that aren't ready, uh, you know, they got to get their things together and they're in the process of doing that. But from what I gather, granted, it's anecdotal, but um, it feels like this parade's going to not just continue into 2019. But if the markets hold up, that's a big if yep. uh, in the economy and everything else. Uh, 2020, 2021, 2022, I mean, maybe forever. I mean, this backlog is so big right now and it's getting bigger, Yes, right? It's not getting smaller. So um, it doesn't, it feels like something's got to give and that's what we're seeing right now. So if things do hold up, there's no shortage of, of really nice looking companies out there that are ready to tap the markets. I'm going to flip that around though, because we've known for years now that there's an enormous number of unicorns that were not ready to go public. 
And if they're going to need 2020, 2021 to get this uh, cycle done and the market changes, you're going to end up with a lot of unicorns stuck Mm -hmm. on the wrong side of the public-private divide. And, you know, I I don't mean to be a bummer, but recessions and downturns can last for a long period of time until the sentiment is back to where you wanted it to be to match your private valuation if you're a company looking to go public. Mm -hmm. So we could end up with a bit of an IPO traffic jam, if you will, if somebody's stuck. Absolutely. And you know, we just hit, what, the record economic expansion in U.S. history, what, in the last couple of weeks? 11 we were just years 10 years, 11 years. Yeah. So, I mean, at some point you have to wonder whether, whether the clock is ticking or not. Yes, I agree. And I'm not an economist, but... Um, I am. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but I will say um, it felt earlier this year and, and even last year that I was hearing a lot from companies that were being advised by their bankers that you need to go now. Because yeah. we don't know what's going to happen um, in 2020 and beyond. So there's no time like the present. And I love us steal this. Uh, I've been using a lot. But the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. Right. And what we know right now is things are good. So let's get going. Mm-hmm. That that sentiment, it feels like it has um, softened a bit. And I'm not hearing it nearly as much. Now, clearly, I think um, the back half of 2020 everybody is concerned with just because of the election and uncertainty uh, generates volatility and volatility is the enemy of the IPO. Um, But you know, that uncertainty should be over once the election is over. And then it feels like things could snap back into its regular cadence and the parade continues to march on. So now again, what to your point, it has been going up and up forever, but you know, I've also had people tell me that, um, you know, markets don't just collapse because of gravity, right? Like you need reasons for it to happen. And, um, you know, there's, there are signs out there, yes. but things continue to keep going up. There needs to be a catalyst for enough of a change in sentiment to bring things down right now. I don't think we've seen that yet. I mean, even a couple of huge earthquakes in LA, everyone's like, well, you know, you know, we're trading at 23 I still flew to SF. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to leave as fast as I can. Um, I, I agree with all that. I, I'm just concerned about what happens if things do change and we do end up with 250 unicorns stuck. Yeah. And if, as we said, the late stage money could slow down as, as we've seen in China. And then what do you do if you're a high burn, high growth company focused on going public that now can't for three years and you can't raise another hundred million. I think that's interesting. I mean, and, and you'd know better, but the, the, there's still a ton of money out there yes. right, in the private space and the really exciting companies seem to not have any issues at the moment raising money. Now, that said, um, you know, it was just 10 years ago when the credit markets completely dried up and it was almost impossible to raise money. Uh, so things can change quickly. But yeah, I'm reading the big short right now, which is why I'm in an optimistic mood about the, uh, the financial system. Uh, nothing like that book just to give you confidence in, in who runs all the money in America and their, their high level of expertise, their pinnacle moral values, and their real leadership in setting the tone for what should be passable in the global financial world. Hey everyone, don't forget this episode is brought to you by Shares Post. <laughs> um, let's talk about some individual companies though. Let's, uh, let's have a little bit of fun. Uh, we have done uh, a spreadsheet inside of our document, which is a first for equity, and we have uh, a number of companies uh, that have gone public this year just to kind of riff on. Uh, recently, the real real went out. Uh, IPO price was 20, and they were trading at 26.40 yesterday. Uh, I, I covered this IPO, it was pretty neat. Um, the only thing I'll say is uh, instead of having its, uh, losses go down, losses are going up as it grows. But in 2019, that's perfectly fine. And so it's doing quite well. So it points to them. Uh, Slack is also on our list. The direct listing that went fine. 
is yeah. my is my read well, of this. Well, great. Yeah. I mean, I, I was talking smack about it, and uh, it went fine. So I have to apologize. I think. No, I think it's gone about as good as anybody could have expected. Now, um, you know, we, certainly in the Twitter sphere, you see a lot of commentary around direct listings becoming the next big thing. And sorry to disappoint, but it's not. You know, I, I talk to companies about this stuff every day, yeah. and I never hear about. I shouldn't say never, rarely do I hear about direct listings. So there's what, 400 global unicorns right now, give or take, maybe a handful to 10 of these could probably pull off a direct listing because they have what, what it takes. Mm -hmm. Um, and two is a trend, but maybe not a terribly meaningful trend. So, um, I wouldn't be surprised to see a couple more peppered, you know, here and there throughout the next couple of years, but certainly the IPO is going to continue to be, um, the dominant way to, move into the public markets. Uh, and we'll talk about uh, a really fun kind of reverse way at the end of the show here, but Slack um, had it, a, an enormous uh, mind share in the market, which made it well known and most enterprise software companies aren't. And so it could drive up, you know, demand for shares uh, on its own. And it had raised so much money so quickly from so many sophisticated people, it had a high appetite for its share. So it could just begin to trade. Most companies either need money or don't have that level of notoriety required is there anything else in that matrix that I'm missing as I consider? I think you also have to remember that Slack is a traditional SaaS company, right? So it's not like a completely new business model. It's not something that's like, you know, Beyond Meat or some of these other guys. Um, you have something that's actually really simple to understand and you can compare it to any of the other hundred SaaS companies on the market today. So if you're a retail investor focused on SaaS, it's actually a really easy call. Yeah. I think one of the, the keys that's often overlooked is... Uh, uh, when it comes to the IPO process, it's all about the analyst, right? You date the bankers, you marry the analyst, right? The bankers are the ones that lead you through the IPO. The analysts are the ones that are going to, you know, make or break you as a public company. And it's generally very difficult for companies to get analyst coverage without the IPO piece of the transaction. Why so, is that? Well, um, that's the business. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so when it comes to, um, uh, because you have to be a company that the public is going to care about, Yeah, you know, and not every company is, you know, like we talked about earlier in the process, I mean, earlier in the show, um, you know, you have to have this big brand recognition, um, at least in certain circles and really have what I would even say a, a very significant fan base, which yeah. both of the, the notable um, listings have had Slack and uh, Spotify. Yeah. And so to, in order to get that analyst coverage, you have to have those pieces. And typically that is something that is a tag along as part of the IPO process. I see. Well, it is the only direct listing on our, on our list, but it did go out at a reference price of 26 and we're not going to get into that because that's a whole conversation and it's worth about $35 a share now. So certainly, uh, volatility in the right direction from them. And it has not been either catastrophic or, um, exuberant. It's been just fine. Uh, Chewy, the company that sells pet things, uh, if you are a pet fan, uh, went out of 22, now worth about 33, so another success. Uh, these are all just pretty solid results is what my, I'm getting from this chart. Uh, Fiverr, a company that I didn't think was anywhere near big enough to go public. I only remember the Subway ads that were like, don't, don't sleep, just coffee, Fiverr. <laughs> um, $21 a share, now worth just over 24. CrowdStrike, this one was fun. This was a, uh, a cybersecurity company, if I recall correctly. Uh, $34 a share, now worth 74 And uh, this is the sort of offering that is brought back into uh, the Twitter sphere, as Barrett would put it, the IPO pricing discussion, which we do every three months, and people get really spicy about it. And 
It's never going to end. Should we talk about it for a sure, second? Sure, let's do it. <laughs> I don't, I'm scared. I feel like uh, you're, you're fine. Twitter's going to reach through the mic here and. Well, I'll start then. So the the argument is that companies that do go public and uh, do exceptionally well compared to their IPO price have mispriced themselves when they went public and therefore didn't raise as much money as they should have and therefore reflects poorly on the CFO for not putting another couple hundred million on the balance sheet. Mm -hmm. My general point is simply because retail investors have bid the stock up after it went public in the short term does not mean it could have gone public at a higher price, doesn't mean it deserves that price, and, you know, Maybe it was priced actually correctly and the market's wrong. Well, there's, there's always a lot of volatility around price. So, you know, it uh, debuted on uh, early June uh, and the price was, what, 58? Uh, but then it went sky high with the 77 within just one week. Yeah. Uh, then it went back down to 60. CrowdStrike. This is. CrowdStrike. Yeah. And then it went back up to, to 74. So, you know, when you look at the volatility post-IPO, you know, everyone, this is the analyst problem, right? There's not a lot of coverage. No one knows how to kind of evaluate what the company's doing. It's also in cybersecurity. And while there are some public comps, you know, cybersecurity is always sort of a hot space. There's a lot of headlines that come in and then there's a surge of retail investors. And so I think when you look at a company like this, you know, you got to wait three to six months for an actual price to sort of emerge from the market and, and not get too tethered to, you know, day to day. Because if we had the show a week ago, we'd be like, God, they, they flatlined yeah. right out of the IPO. Yeah, well, we don't have a lot of data yet, but I think it's always tough to... Um, to really put too much into a price before the lockup expires um, in any situation. But really, when it comes to the pop, I think that there's um, various multiple benefits that you can get out of an IPO, right? And maybe for some companies, it really is about the cash. Maybe they they use a lot of it and they really need cash, um, uh, a, a big chunk of cash to come through the actual yeah. IPO process. For others, maybe it's less about the cash and more about getting their name out there and creating this buzz around the company. And I would argue a couple of the companies that went public this year very much succeeded in the, the latter piece of that and creating buzz to where maybe people around the country and, and maybe Main Street um, had not heard of these products before, but now they're talking about it because of that IPO. So in some sense, it's marketing. Now you don't, uh, nobody draws it up to have a hundred percent pop. That's not, that's too much. And there, there's no way to argue you're not leaving money on the table, Sure. but to put some pop to 20%, 30%, maybe even 50%. I mean, there, I'm even getting a little uncomfortable, but certainly, um, there is something you do get something from that. It's not just completely wasted money. So that's, that's where my frustration is, is that people just completely ignoring it and saying it's purely money left on the table. I think I get that side of the argument. It's not perfect. This isn't a perfect setup the way IPOs happen. It would be nice if there was a perfect way to price them and get them out. But the way the media currently covers IPOs there is a huge benefit to getting a pop out of the IPO process. Okay, then let's talk about the company you're you're alluding to here, Barry. You're talking about Beyond Meat, essentially, which is not really a tech company, but it's on our list because it was a venture-backed, high-growth company with high gross margins. So it kind of fits the tech mold. It just doesn't have chips. It has, I don't know, fats in the shape of sausages or something. But Beyond Meat went public at $25 a share, and as of yesterday was 163.5. And... Um, some of my friends I, out in Providence are buying shares one and two at a time just for the fun of it. So it really has reached the mainstream. Yeah. Well, I think if you look at the stock chart, I think you see that exactly in the numbers. So, you know, it goes public early May. Um, it goes up kind of linearly and slowly over the course of the next couple of weeks. But then there's the spike. It, I believe it was the Burger King kind of announcement that there was this partnership. So there was a spike here. And then it just continues to grow. I mean, it's not like a pop one day and then it went up 100%. It's actually been sort of linear growth the last 
what, eight, nine weeks. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, as people are talking, there's word of mouth. You're starting to see probably some more retail investors getting in on that. Um, you know, and it just sort of shows up into into the chart. Well, I mean, if you look at their uh, their last quarter's earnings, their March 30 quarter uh, compared to their March 31 quarter of 2018, they had revenues of 40.2 million this year and 12.8 last year. I mean, that's the kind of growth that investors love to see. It's up 214.7 percent year over year, and okay. you know that's just going to work every time. So. 40 million in revenue. Forty point two million in the Q one calendar of twenty eighteen. Just crossed yeah. it literally just crossed ten billion last night. Um in so the market cap. If you so if, if you, you would want, like to do that multiple it's it's, wor <laughs> it's worse than you think. Go ahead and calculate its gross margin and then do multiple of that. And you end up with a really hilarious set of metrics. Beyond beyond meat, and I, I barely can't say anything because you know we can get in trouble. I can't. Uh, I have no idea why it's worth that much money other than exuberance. But you know, at least everyone's having fun. Speaking of things that are getting out, well, getting is good. Luck and Coffee, a company we've covered on the show a number of times because it grew from nowhere and raised huge amounts of money. Uh, went public at 17 and now worth 1894 a share. But notably, it was below its IPO price for a chunk of time there. And uh, that was a bit of a surprise to me, but it has bounced back. Uh, of course, we have Uber. That was an IPO in H1 2019, $45 a share, now worth just a smidge less. Um, so actually, ironically, a uh, very well-priced IPO. Um, I just, I mean, they kind of nailed it. It's been worth about $42, $44 a share since it went public. Uh, Pinterest, 19 to start, 26.6 now, give or take. Uh, Zoom, uh, which has now fixed the uh, huge privacy or security violation that was going on earlier in the week, uh, $19 a share now worth, uh, oh, sorry, $36 a share now worth 92 Zoom's, and Zoom's probably been the most exciting IPO of the year. I think probably the one that caught, you know, a lot of folks off guard and has really just been exceptional. You know? Yeah. I mean, growing over 100% a year over year and profitable as a SaaS company. Mm -hmm. I mean, name one ever that has done that. I mean, we talked about Slack earlier. Slack's had an amazing run, and it's running, you know, material if manageable deficits. Mm -hmm. Zoom didn't need to do that. Points to them. Uh, and finally on this list, uh, Lyft 72, now worth 62.30. So another kind of, uh, that's actually a bit lower than Uber. I always forget that Lyft is struggling a bit more. But that is uh, mostly the venture-backed, tech and tech-ish 2019 H1 IPO class. And aside from ride-hailing, struggling still, uh, everyone's doing fantastic. So I I think it's got to be heartening to people that are looking at H2 2019. because it's, it's been good, yeah, uh, for sure. And I think that the IPO market is very reactionary and that folks are going to be watching. Um, folks have been watching what happened in the first half and are, you know, it's going to pay attention, and and this will continue into the second half. I don't I don't know if we'll have the big ones, um, maybe I don't know truthfully, but um, it does feel like uh, there'll be plenty of uh, nice IPOs to come out. For as long the as they're all SaaS companies that I can price before they go public, I'll be happy. That's <laughs> my only request in life. Um, but we are going to leave in a minute here, but we have to talk a little bit about the SPAC and the space company because on this show we have covered uh, Chamonth and Social Capital and. Uh, really one of the most interesting, if controversial, figures in the venture capital world. And he put together a SPAC, which is a special purpose acquisition company that was launched into the market, and then we all forgot about it. And now it turns out it's going to space. Danny, what's going on? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> Jamath uh, invested in uh, Virgin Galactic. So uh, Richard Branson's uh, space-bound uh, company. So it competes with Blue Origin, which is Jeff Bezos and a couple other SpaceX. Um, and he put in $800 million into the fund. So uh, it's actually kind of a complicated deal, so maybe we won't go into all the details. Um, a couple of hundred million from the SPAC, a hundred million from Chamath himself, personally, oh. uh, along with some of the money from uh, the existing shareholders. So um, what's interesting here is that you know what a SPAC allows you to do is to do what, what we call kind of a reverse IPO. 
Um, it brings you back. Um, you have a publicly traded cash vehicle, literally okay. just publicly traded cash. And then it acquires shares or acquires a company on the public markets. And in the process, it immediately goes into the public markets. So if you don't want to go through the IPO process, if you just want to start trading the next day, so to speak, you can actually just merge with the company and take it right out there. Um, what's interesting is that this year we've seen an enormous growth in the number of SPACs. So um, this is from the Financial Times. But um, in the first half of this year, there was almost $7 billion raised for SPACs. If you think about it, a SPAC is literally a cash vehicle. You're handing your cash. It's a blank check company. It's a blank check company, as they say. Uh, so someone like Chamath gets you know, a couple hundred million from his friends uh, who are like, go do whatever you want with my couple hundred million bucks. Uh, and clearly, they're super popular. People are just handing blank checks to everyone these days. So $7 billion raised. Um, and there were uh, a couple of dozen SPACs uh, launched, uh, 28 uh, this year so far. Uh, and we're only halfway through. So yeah, it seems uh, very, very aggressive. Not that I'm opposed to it. It's, it's a lot of fun to watch, but it seems to be almost like a shocking amount of money going into these. Well, and it's neat to see SPACs move into the tech space where primar- they used to be primarily energy and real estate and things like that. But we're really seeing a movement into this. Is that just money moving into more, um, I'm trying to apply word, speculative parts of the market? And they're moving away from more, like energy can be a relatively safe bet if you do it correctly. But tech feels... Yeah, no, I don't know. I think it's um, it's just another vehicle to get companies to be public. And I think that um, because companies are staying private for much longer, we've seen of uh, a, a bit of change in the private company environment to where um, maybe net everybody is primed to be an IPO company. And so they're looking for other avenues to, to get public. Yeah, and then in this case, we'll see Virgin Galactic now trade because it will be a public, a public company. And yes. so we'll get to see Virgin Galactic's earnings. That's yeah. exciting. Yep. I mean, I mean, I would. How much money would you pay right now to read SpaceX's Q1 results? Like, like seriously, how much? I'd pay like three hundred dollars probably to read that just for fun. <laughs> Even if I couldn't write about it, maybe, maybe more. Yeah, I, I'm really curious. This stuff is fascinating to me. So I love seeing a Chamath story reach a conclusion. Um, I like to see a spec actually pull something off. And also, I love this offering. It's audacious, and um, we will have more notes about this as time goes along. I think on the show. Uh, but we are sadly over time, and that means we have to say goodbye to Barrett for just about a year and a half. We'll have him back. Danny, we will have you on the show more fruit more than that. But thank you all for tuning in. This has been Equity, and we'll see you all soon. All right, everybody, thank you for listening, and a big thank you to our producer, Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Pickovet, and we will see you all right here next week. Next week.